People ask me all the time whether or not I own Norcom Mortgage, and the answer to that is no. But this week, I'm joined by the actual owner, Phil DeFranzo. I've worked for Phil for the past seven and a half years. Phil has a great story to tell. He's done an amazing job building Norcom Mortgage to what it is now. A great ops team that is focused on doing what's best for our customers, while also supporting the loan officers that work there. So it's a great fit. I feel very fortunate to be a part of the Norcom family, and Phil is a big reason why. So we have a great conversation about and his history going back to when he started in the business to starting Norcom Mortgage to what he expects for the future. I think you'll really enjoy it. So thanks for listening. This is the Randy Forcer podcast. If you could do me a huge favor, and if you could subscribe on YouTube, Spotify, or Apple, I would really appreciate it. And then follow us on social media, on Facebook, Instagram. That would be great. Thanks, everyone. Bill, I've been working for you for the past seven years. It's been amazing. I'm so happy to have you on the podcast. Thanks for coming on. Thanks for having me. Great to be here. Can't believe it's already been, wait, seven and a half years now? I guess we're coming up on eight. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Time flies. I remember yeah. when we were the new people on the block and looked up all these other loan officers and branches, and now we're one of those ones that have been here for a while. Yeah, it's true. I have a loan officer... Mary Tigno that I've worked with for 25 years. She's still doing it. She's very active. She's in her seventies. Legend. Loves business. A legend. Yeah. <laughs> legend. <laughs> but before we get to all that Norcom stuff, what I was hoping to do today was get a little bit of an idea on your background. Sure. Your progression through the industry, how you started Norcom and then kind of go yeah. from there. Why don't you start from the beginning with me? When did you get in the mortgage business? Let's see. It was about 30 something years ago. It was I was working for an insurance company down in New Jersey. I grew up in Connecticut and the company I work for, the Hartford Insurance Group, transferred me to New Jersey. I always say, because my last name is in a vowel, you know, where are they going to put the Italian guy? They have to put him in New Jersey. And I went down there and I worked there for a few years and I ultimately became a marketing person. So I called on insurance agencies for the Hartford. And there was part of that business that I didn't like because if you, there, I like the idea like in a sales business that you can make more money based off of what your production is and what you do. Whereas if you're a marketing rep and all you're doing is calling on agents and continuing that relationship, you're not really getting compensated based off of your hard work. Yeah. So I got ultimately a friend of a friend introduced me to this guy and he actually was my first boss and he went on to, in the industry, his name's Dave Stevens, and he went on to become FHA commissioner and head of the Mortgage Bank Association. And he was my first boss and I worked with him for a few years. I, yep. I loved it. And then I decided to start my own business after that. So that was 30 something years ago. So that was in the early nineties, early nineties. Yeah. yeah. So early nineties, it was, I think, I think initially it was like 1990 when I started the mortgage company, so it was a few years before that. And I only was in the business for a little while and I decided to become a mortgage broker. And when I was going to do it down in the New Jersey, New York area, because that's the market I knew. And this friend of mine, this, this wise old friend of mine said to me, you should go where you're going to get more support. And, you know, you have family around. And I was, you know, I've, I've got a lot of family in Connecticut, you know, deep roots here. So I decided to move back and start my business here. And, it, and I think it was really helpful, you know, because when you're growing a business, having your cousin referring you and your aunt referring you and, you know, those kind of things really helped out a lot. What an interesting idea that is when you say that, because I think about the idea of relocating and not seriously relocating, but the idea of doing this job yeah. away from 
this sphere of influence that you built up, this family network group, this friend network group, yeah. people you've known for a long time. It just makes such a difference to have those people on your back, unless you're just this unbelievable salesperson that could just walk yeah. into any place and, and sell. Yeah. But it's huge having those people around you. But I mean, like you could, nowadays, uh, so much of it is done remotely. So you probably True. could spend time somewhere else and people might not even know it because of the True. way that things so much, so much is done remotely. But for me, yeah, starting that huge. Good and bad thing about the industry, I guess. It's nice to be able to do that. Unfortunately, the first time I meet people face to face is at the closing table. Yeah. A lot of the time. I mean, you, you know yeah. how it is. But true. yeah, definitely. You're, you're right. I could be in Florida for all, yeah. all you know right now doing this. And That's very true. I guess you wouldn't really skip a beat. You know, and there's some LOs that do that. I mean, you know, like going back to Mary Tigno, I mean, I thought she'd be the last person that would take loans online. And she's, you know, she's embraced the technology. And nowadays it's just, people don't want to meet with you. They want to be able to, you know, use you as a consultant and then, you know, do things online so much more. Yeah. I used to be hesitant to send out online loan apps because I felt like I want to control that yeah. intake process. Yeah. And now it's so easy and people prefer it because they can do it at their own time. It's probably more complete. Yeah, absolutely. So. And then you think of things like DocuSign, how much that's changed. Oh my gosh. And it's all like sped up because of COVID, like so much of it got sped up because of COVID, but it's like, yeah how much I do on DocuSign, even internally. It's funny to me, like when when people, like we have somebody who handles like our investor relations stuff that she'll need me to have signatures. And she's like, literally like down the hallway and she'll, she'll DocuSign me stuff. I'm like, you can't even walk down the hall anymore. I'll DocuSign myself stuff. <laughs> like, I have to sign something. I'll just email it to myself to DocuSign instead of printing and signing and scanning and all that stuff. So. Yeah, no, I, I know. I mean, it's it's very easy, the process nowadays. So back in the 90s, I'm sure it was a lot different. A lot of printed paper, overnight, mailing it. You, the files, you know, like nothing was paperless. It was it just incredible. And I think, you know, that speaks a lot to the, all the people that we have here that are, you know, like embrace technology sooner than I did. And like, you know, I look back on like, I look back on COVID, not to get off on a sub -tap topic, but like, when COVID was coming out, I, I was like certain that nobody was going to shut down. And Mike Dimmick, our head of operations, was like, we need to practice and go remote for a full day or two days because people are going to go remote. And I'm like, no, nah, they're not. No one's going to. And like literally. So this was leading up to COVID. This was in like early 2020. Right. And he was like, let's just practice a couple of days. And I was like, you know, I was like, that's not going to happen. But all right, whatever, whatever you want to, what a stupid idea you want to do. <laughs> literally like two weeks later. I was like, oh my God, everybody's like shutting down. Like, and I, yeah. you know, that's, that's really the benefit of this place is I think there's so many people here in the loan officers and the management and everything that are just smart. I mean, yeah, yeah, that's yeah true. No, for sure. Yeah. Um, so we'll get back to Norcom. Was it five years working for Dave? Three years before I, it was like five or six years before I opened my own company. Yeah. I, I think for him in particular, I worked for two, two and a half years. Yeah. Yeah. So he got you in, moved on. Yes. Then you started Norcom Mortgage as your first company, or was it another company that became Norcom? We were a mortgage broker. Mm -hmm. And then we slowly, you know, we did mortgage brokering for years. And then we decided to, well, you know what, let's get a warehouse line, a small one. It was through GMAC. I don't know if you remember that company. And then we ultimately got an additional warehouse line. And then we started using not just GMAC, but other lenders. And then over time, we decided that we'll get approvals with Freddie and Fannie. I think it was Freddie, Fannie, and then Ginny May. Um, we use all of those yeah. now. So yeah, so it just was kind of like so one of So just for anyone list, listening, brokering your 
making connection between a borrower and another lender, as opposed to what Norcom is now, where we are the actual lender. We have lines of credit. When someone borrows money from us, they're getting money from that line. Then we sell the mortgage to get the money back. There's a million other moving parts, but that's basically the difference. Yeah. A lot of people think we're brokers. Yeah. Is that true? Well, I mean, I think just a lot of people think anyone that doesn't work for a bank is a mortgage broker. Yes. So we have to kind of explain a little bit about how we are different than a broker and what the advantages that come along with that are. So, yes, definitely. So that time from being a broker to being basically what we are now correspondent lending, that happened over a quicker period of time or was it, you know, long time? No, I think it was like a longer term period mm-hmm. of time. I think it was like maybe 10 or 15 years. It just slowly happened where, you know, it was just like you got more comfortable with brokering. We added some loan officers. I think at one time as a broker, maybe we had like, you know, five LOs and myself. And then we slowly, we were offered the opportunity to this, you know, I think they called it Warehouse Express or something, which is basically, they give you a warehouse line and, you know, it comes off your line really quickly if you sell them the loan. And so we just kind of like dipped your toe into warehouse lending. And then we, we realized that maybe we can get some more competitive pricing if we went somewhere else. And, you know, it just kind of like all evolved over time and just kind of learned a little bit more about the business and slowly grew uh, that part of it. Was that yeah. your goal when you started your business? Like, I want to make this a big no. thing or it just happened? Yeah. I think it, I think it was just more like an intellectual curiosity of like wanting to learn about the business. And I mean, I love, as weird as it sounds, it's like, I love the mortgage business. I loved being an originator. I love the idea of learning the story about what people's lives are and trying to figure out what the best financial situation I can do for them in the mortgage business. When you dissect what's going on in their life and you figure like, well, no, maybe you shouldn't be doing, you know, a main housing program. Maybe you should be doing, you know, this type of product. And I think that I love that. And I think that over time, it's just like, you think like, well, what's next? What else is out there in the business? And so you just, for me, it was just more of a learning and kind of grow that way and not just, oh my God, I have this vision of, you know, it's like even 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 people be like, oh, you're so smart. You timed the secondary market. You you knew that, you know, subprime loans. And I was like, no, I, I just basically didn't when I was originating and we had the warehouse line. I would be like, well, if somebody could qualify for an FHA loan and that was a better product for them, I put them in the FHA loan. Like I didn't go subprime. And it wasn't like, oh, my God, I thought subprime was bad. Because I think they're that's best for the customer. That's for the customer. But I mean, there's a, there's a point the non-QM products and subprime and all day kind of products serve a purpose. You know, like there's people out there that had a tough time or, or, you know, have a difficult qualifying, but they're still good borrowers. It's just, that just didn't fit my niche. And I didn't really, you know, I didn't do a lot of that kind of product. So, you know, it's just like one of those deals. So what was that time in the business? Like in 2008, that was before I was even in the industry. Very similar to now, in a sense, it's like when you start to see you start to see people exit the business. You start seeing things change rapidly about mm-hmm. people leaving the industry. And but like I was, I was saying is that on the flip side of that is like I kind of loved it too because it got rid of a lot of the people who weren't really professionals in the industry, mm-hmm. and you know the people who you know entered in for for a few years did non QM loans and made a lot of money and then the minute it turned, they left. And then all of a sudden you were left. And like I was saying, some of my best years were following that, you know, Mm -hmm. 08, 09 period of time, you know, when the market turned and you were 
your people were left there were real professionals who were left there. So I, I mean, I feel like I feel like that's what's happening now. You're getting people who are just like, you know what, this is this is a little hard, and I'm going to get out of the industry. And it's kind of the people who are professionals who are left. Funny, I got into the mortgage business, I think, second half of 2008, and people thought maybe I was crazy to do that at that time. But in hindsight, I was, you know, I was in a position to do it. So I just, I'm, I'm very happy that I did it, but it allowed me to set some good habits, build some relationships yeah. so I could take advantage of the good times that followed basically from them right up until not yeah. that long ago. You know, in a way, it almost makes you, you better, that it's better <laughs> that you started then because like, you know what the, you know what the baseline is in a way. Yeah. 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 And we're kind of getting back to that point. And it was after the loan officer compensation stuff, not to get into too much like mortgage jargon, but like back before this loan officer compensation thing, people could really take advantage of their borrowers in terms of the yeah. rates that they would charge and get paid basically yeah. infinity money. So kind of missed all that. So I heard all the stories of the Porsches and the you know nice cars and the vacation homes and all that stuff for these mortgage professionals. So I kind of missed a lot of that and was able to build some good habits and focus on the relationships. And it's yeah. served me well over the past, God, you know, 14, 15 years. It's crazy. Yeah. So how has the business changed over the years? Is it still very much focusing on key tasks or you think there's certain things that have changed over time in the mortgage business? I think initially because there was so much focus on the actual pro product production, meaning, um, was about like, you know, you need to copy the files and it was a little bit more operation centric. Mm -hmm. Now it seems more consultative and this, and truly more sales. We have like apps and stuff that allow you to scan documents or you can apply online. Like we talked about and all that stuff. Like we didn't have that. So you were, some of your job was, oh, I have to copy the tax returns and I have to make sure it's put in a folder correctly. Some of that stuff is not done, but I feel like the great, the great salespeople sell it's more consultative like somebody's coming to you randy because you know the business so well and you know like if you put an extra five percent down you're going to save this interest rate or you know yeah. you know that kind of stuff it's like they're not coming to you because you know how to copy a tax return you know so yeah. i think it really moved away from and people are like oh well they can just go to quicken it's like no because like if there's a transaction that is difficult a lot of people want to know First of all, it, they need somebody in their market area who truly knows their market. Yeah. And then second of all, is that they, they want somebody who can look at them, look at all products and programs and not just be like, do it this way, mm -hmm. because that's all they really offer. And just think that part is it, part of it from a sales perspective has changed. I look at every, every borrower circumstance, kind of like a puzzle and which is yeah. nice yeah. You know, to be able to put together all the different pieces and try to yeah. find a way to make it work. And not all of them work and it takes a little bit of planning and you know, some work to make someone be in a position to get a mortgage, but in general, it's just fun putting all those pieces together. Yeah. Yeah, um, absolutely. And it's, and it's like so satisfying when you see those people who like, you know, like I even like the people that you walk through, like you help them with their credit, like, you know, you come back to me in six months, but if you do these things, you, it's going to improve your credit or, and they do, and then they get the house and then they write this review, like, oh my God, I wouldn't be able to get the house without you. And yeah. I mean, I see reviews of yours that are like that. And yeah. it's just like that to me, that's the best part of the business in a way. Yeah. It's, it's been great to maintain the relationships that I've had with many of my customers over the years and yeah. the referral partners that have been cut, become more than referral partners that have become legitimate friends. Absolutely. For me and my family. So that's one of the best parts of the whole business. 
Not yeah. to sound too corny, but no, no, absolutely. And you can you you know the impact you've had in their life is when you when I often laugh, I haven't originated in 10 years, but like they're will still see me at the grocery store and they're like, Oh, we love the house. And I like can't remember who they are. You know, like <laughs> but they're like, Oh, thank you so much. You know, and then you're like, you realize like, you know, you really helped them. I'm sure it's happened to you. Like for your No, definitely. I, I'm embarrassed to say if I don't remember someone. I, I like to pride myself on and being able to remember everyone, but it does happen more and more often. Yeah. One of the things I think super cool is driving through the towns that I spend the most time in and being like, oh, I financed that house. So I financed that house. And yeah. that's like every turn you make, you you know, a house that you did a mortgage on. And, yeah. Uh, that's been yeah. pretty cool. We have uh, the town next to us, the town I grew up in, and my grandfather actually worked at the factory. It was an old factory town. And it's very interesting because there's a lot of multifamilies there. And there was a period of time that we were one of the only ones who were doing like any renovation, you know, the home style or 203K, any renovation loans. And so I did, it was fun to be like, oh, that multifamily that, you know, cause they, they were all old and they needed work. And it, it did feel like you gave back something to community. Yeah, it's like you helped bring up the level of, of quality for those homes yeah. in that town. Yeah. Yeah, so, that's super that, cool. It's fun to have an impact on your community and, and a bunch of people in it too. So absolutely. Now, what's the state of Norcom right now? I know yeah. it's a fluid thing in terms of how many people work there and branches, but we're doing business in a ton of states. Yeah. We, have, we are. We actually all over the place. We are. We actually have added some really impressive teams. We just got this great group in Long Island that joined us, who we're really super excited about. We're talking to a bunch of other people. We we have a group starting in Rhode Island, at Providence, Rhode Island. That's pretty exciting. And we've definitely added way more to our group than, than subtracted, which is really exciting in this industry. I think what's attractive for us right now is that we're really just steady. I think one of the benefits of being in the business long enough is that I didn't go buy like a corporate jet when we <laughs> were making a ton of money or I didn't yeah. sponsor a team or a race car or a, so I, I basically knew that the market was going to change. And that's really been a huge benefit for us mm -hmm. right now, because it's like, we've had a little bit, like we, we haven't had layoffs as much as some people have left. And we, you know, we had a couple of people retire and that we didn't replace them. So we've had a little bit of maybe shifting around and stuff, but I think for the most part, it's been pretty, pretty steady. So that's yeah, it. I, I haven't woken up to an email that said, you know, half of the ops yeah. staff have been laid off or anything like that. I mean, maybe yeah. it's happening, like you said, a little I'm bit sure. here and there. I'm actually nervous the other way, which is, you know, when you see the projections of numbers, I mean, granted, you're looking at January and February, which are always historically slower months. I'm like a little nervous the other way that I just, fortunately, so many people have laid off, or fortunately for us, not fortunately for them, yeah. that there's great talent out there. So if, if the market continues to be the way that it is for us, we'll be able to grab some additional people. But yeah, I mean, it's been a crazy ride, like for some... And it's so painful to see some of these support staff that, that went someplace that is laid off. And now that they can't find jobs, it's crazy. Me, Chris and Brian are on some Facebook groups for loan officers. And every day there's people, support staff that are coming on there. Like, Hey, anyone need a processor? Anyone need post closer? You know, and those people are just looking for work and you know, we don't need anything obviously yeah. right now, but yeah, it's, it'll be nice to be able to pick up some of those people yeah. when we need it. Yeah. Now, would you attribute that to the fact that we service our own loans, Norcom services own loans has been for a yes. few years. Has that been a benefit of, of ours anyway? Yeah. I think in two ways, first of all, we, we market to, well, first our servicing, we, 
we we do surveys quarterly for our servicing staff and it's been our nobody likes paying a mortgage and nobody loves their servicing group but our historic servicing percentages have been higher than normal the normal is like 50 something percent nationwide and ours are in the 80s so that's been really really a plus because we've had people recently been like oh they might have to sell they might have to buy something else but they asked us if we can make sure that we're their servicer because they don't want to go to a large institution and oh, so we've been able to pick up some of that stuff on yeah. the side and then the second thing is, is that from a marketing perspective, all of the loan officers contact information is on the actual bill. And that's been a real plus because you'll hear stories of somebody printing their email bill out, ripping it off and giving it to their neighbor, which I didn't think it was going to be as big of a thing as it was, but like, you know, you've had thousands of clients and if you're, if your name's going out there every day, it's like, you know, every month, it's kind of nice if, if that person's, oh, their brother's going to buy something or so from a marketing perspective, it's been a real plus. Definitely. Um, and also you're being able to control, like we, we also profit from the ongoing revenue of servicing mm -hmm. and the valuation increasing of servicing. If you had a certain interest rate, if rates go up, the value of your servicing goes up and our underwriters and our loan officers and our staff is so amazing that like our delinquency rates on our government stuff is way below the national average and on the conventional loans, you know, the stuff that you would sell to Fannie and Freddie are like literally ridiculously. Like barely any. Zero. Like it's like 0.3% yeah. or something. So it's That's like. That's how different the market's changed, you know, since 2008. I mean, the people that are getting mortgages are truly qualified. Oh, that's the difference. That that's the difference. Yeah. And without like a huge jobs crisis, you know, people yeah. still have their jobs. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's good to hear. So, yeah, no, phenomenal. As a company, because you have an ongoing residual revenue. And once again, like instead of selling all your loans and buying a jet, it's like you're you're buying, you know, you're buying servicing in a sense. So then you're you're you have stability when the market goes like this. Yeah, and I felt it on the loan officer side of things. I feel like things are stable. I don't have a, a ton of concerns about yeah. any of that stuff, which has been nice and yeah. one of the things that I really appreciate. Yeah. What's what's your goal for Norcom moving forward, or at least in the short term? I think we'd like to add more people, but I think it's I think over time I've learned that it's just like. It also has to be the right fit culturally. You know, it has to be the right group or people. And you know, when you meet people, you're like, yeah, oh my God, that, that person's awesome and they should. And then, you know, the slimy one that's trying to do stuff that doesn't fit into a guideline. It's like, they're not gonna fit here regardless, but it's also, it's just like, it's not fun. And I think we're really spending our time. We have a recruiting group, but they're really spending their time trying to find a cultural fit. Yeah. You no, know, and you and you just know, like there's some of the people we've added recently have been they're just such the right cultural fit. And that that's important. I really want to continue to grow, growing. If you're not growing, you're dying. Mm -hmm. So, you know, we're definitely we have a lot of exciting initiatives. We we just are putting together a a call center. We have an amazing guy who's spearheading that that we're gonna work to keep our referral partners informed and or establish relationships with establish additional relationships with our referral mm -hmm. partners. You know, like if there's a product or a program or a seminar that we're doing, we maybe, you know, being able to like reach out to the people yeah. is going to be, is going to be huge. So we're trying all different things. It's not just, I just want to, I just don't want to grow from recruiting. I want to grow organically too, with the people that have been here and supported us. So yeah. yeah. That's awesome. Well, I'm excited about 2023 or at least too. To get out this winter, you know? Yeah. Well, I, I am too. It feels like, it just feels like it's all going to pop soon. Mm -hmm. It really does. And it's an exciting and it's in. You know, it's like, and I do feel like there's so many people that have like left the business that it's, 
it's just it's going to be an exciting time. That definitely creates some opportunities. Huge. So, I'm interested to hear what the things are that have been your key to success, but I, I'm, I'm curious what your keys to success as a mortgage loan officer were and now what your keys to success as a business owner are and how they might be the same or how they might be different. That's, su that's such a good question. That really is because you know what? It's really the same. And I, it's funny. You, that's so weird. You're asking me that because I was thinking about that the other day. It's like my salespeople are my customers in essence. And so like, what I, what I did as a salesman, which is what I'm trying to do now, is that when I was a salesman, I would always try to stay on top of mind and be make sure I was listening. Like I had a few really good referral partners that we would get together a couple times a month or we would, you know, you're always trying to be out there listening and learning. And, and I feel like just recently I thought it's the same thing. It's like, I'm just doing it with my salespeople. Our salespeople are the, the customers instead of it being... I know, I know, yeah. It's the same yeah. thing. It's like you got to pick up the phone and call people, and you got to make sure you return the call. If the person's calling you, that you, it's you know it's important, and you know it's just all of those things. Being accessible, it's all the same stuff as being an LL. Which you is know? stuff that I can obviously relate to. Yeah, every, all yeah. that stuff is super important. Servicing your customers. Well, yeah. I'm sure there's many times where you're like, it's Saturday afternoon at six o'clock. You're like, I'm not. I don't want to pick up the phone, but you do because it's an important referral partner that. It's just life. It's the way that it is. Well, you know, I tell people that there are many great aspects to our job. Yeah. yeah. In terms of flexibility and, and picking up my kids when I have to and practices and I can go play golf in the summer and go ski in the winter. There's just a million flexible things. Yeah. And if the downside is having to pick up a phone once in a while on a Saturday or Sunday to talk to a customer or someone that you do business with, I mean, it's, yeah. I don't think it's a huge price to pay personally. Yeah. And, you know, one of the common themes, like you're a big producer here and one of the common themes you see is that it's like the ones that say oh i don't want to answer the phone after five aren't the ones who are being like you know like when i was when i was a loan officer i i always was acceptable but i try to balance it like i would be like okay i try to take a little bit of time for myself i would go out and do open houses on a sunday and might take tuesday morning off or something just yeah. you know just a bit so you don't burn yourself out but on the other hand it's like and the flexibility is huge i mean there's the loan, you can, if you work hard, there's great opportunities. So it's just, you know, it's exciting. It's, it's been good. I, you know, the story of how I became a loan officer is for another day, but I am very happy with the way that it all turned out. And yeah. There's a million sliding door moments where things could have went different ways after college and accepted a yeah. different job. And now it's kind of nice to yeah. have that flexibility in your life. So, oh my gosh, but it's a curse too. There's some people I one time, you know, years and years ago, hired a loan officer who was like a huge sales guy and he worked for Comcast and he was like the top Comcast salesperson in the state of Connecticut. And his mother was a real estate agent. And I thought, Oh my God, this is a home run. He's going to be huge. She was a successful person. He couldn't handle not having structure. He, he needed somebody to be like lunches between 12 and one. And so sometimes people that the, the flexibility is a gift and a curse. Some people can't handle it, yeah. you know, I have seen it. I've seen it with realtors that I've done business with. I've seen it with people in the industry. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah. if you don't have, if you can't structure it yourself, then yeah, you're going to be a mess. Yeah. So, but if you can, it's awesome. Like you said, when my kids were younger, I remember one of my daughter's friends didn't think I worked because like I could go pick them up at soccer at four o'clock and then I'd go home and re return telephone calls after dinner. You know, it's like, it's huge. Totally. Yeah. And we, 
we had a snow day on Friday. I don't know how it was down in Connecticut, but yeah, we were able to yeah. take the kids up, went skiing on Friday instead, kind of just That's changed awesome. our schedule, pivoted, didn't have to worry about you know anything, yeah. brought my laptop, got everything I needed to get done. And yeah, I'm thankful for that. Awesome. So, yeah. Okay. So that makes sense. How about biggest challenges? What's what's the biggest challenge you see in uh, maybe Norcom related in the industry? Yeah. Anything that come to mind? I would say the biggest challenge is separating out, I'd say industry-wide is separating out the fact from the fiction. Mm -hmm. The fact it is when people are like, oh, rates are up, it's a terrible time to buy. And I'm like, well, you're paying $2,800 a month in rent. You know what I mean? I often say to people like, just sit down with like Randy and have him run through the numbers and just show you what's the difference between what I'm paying for rent and what I'm buying. And I feel like there's so much fiction out there of, oh, now's a bad time to buy. And I'm like, yeah. well, your, your, your rent's cheaper. I was a friend of mine's son is in Florida. I'm like, your rent is more expensive than what you could do to buy a house. How is it a bad time to buy? Like, yeah. I just, I think that's the challenge. You hear it. Like you watch CNBC and you hear them all the time talking about like, oh, the market's softening or this is the thing. And then people get scared. And I'm like, well, wait a minute. If you bought and you're going to spend $400 less than what you're paying in rent, I, don't, I mean, I'm no brain surgeon, but yeah. it's, you know, the market's going to really have to soften. I don't, you know, I think also like people compare this market right now to 2008 and there's no comparison. There's yeah. no comparison. There's not the credit crap. All the borrowers are credit worthy. Yeah, there's because not they're all well qualified, have good jobs. The job numbers are holding up. Right. So yeah. people, you know, people still have their jobs. And if that ever starts to change, maybe you see more defaults, but and you're seeing, like, there's you... definitely a narrative that's taken hold. Yes. Online yeah. and in the media, just bad time to buy housing markets. Not great. And there are definitely issues. Don't get me yes. wrong, but for us up here in Maine, I'd be interested to hear what you think in Connecticut, but up here, inventory continues to be a huge issue for us. It's a challenge. It's a challenge in, in certain markets in Connecticut here. It's more like if it's under 400,000, it goes really yeah. quickly, you know, and, and now like the, the high, high, high end is like definitely softening, but if it's needs work, people don't seem to want to do it as much, but I mean, there, once again, it's renovation loan opportunities there, but it's just like, I just think that there's like, I just tell people like, just talk to somebody first, even if it's not us, like just someone before you make a decision now, isn't the time to buy. Yeah. And that's what I've been trying to do is have those conversations with people as much as possible. Yes. Right. It, it maybe doesn't make sense for you, but let's explore it. And Absolutely. if six months is better for you, if a year from now is better for you, at least we can have that conversation, set a baseline and put a plan in place. So yeah, you know, just trying to try to beat that drum, and promote that yeah. as much as possible. What's the, before we wrap up, have you heard any updates on rate predictions for this year? I know a lot of times people talk about yeah. rates and I still don't think it's that big of a deal. I had buyers that will buy if the rates were 10%, if they could find the house they were looking for, but yeah. it's definitely a talking point that people want to talk yeah. about. What, what do you hear? I think the Fed is, is going to maybe do one more rate increase and then that's it. I don't, you know, as you know, it doesn't really tie coordinate, you know, hand in hand with what's happening in long-term rates. What? You know, that is the exact same thing. Fed doesn't set the rates. <laughs> <laughs> I think you're going to see a settling down. I actually personal friends with the, the head of the National Mortgage Bankers Association because I was on the board, this guy, Mike Frattoni, and he feels like he thinks the rates are going to be high fours, low fives, second, third quarter this year. And I, I would agree with that. I mean, two reasons. First of all, I think that we are headed towards a little bit of a recession. 
And second is the spread between the 10-year bond and a 30-year fix right now is like the highest it's ever been. And I think when, when the market settles a little bit and that compresses a little bit, I think you're going to see rates go down. I think that that's going to spur the market, not just for purchases, but I think it's going to help refinancing too. Not because people are going to, obviously, they're not going to go from a three and a half to a four and a half or four and three quarters. But I think if somebody's putting off doing a home improvement or they took a big chunk of a home equity line or they have credit cards they need to consolidate, it suddenly makes sense to for everybody to look at that again. So that's part of the reason why I'm really optimistic about this year. I have a whole set of people that have bought in the past eight, nine months that would really benefit from a refinance in the oh, upper yeah. fours, fives. fives. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, th I really do believe like what his prediction is. And I, and I think that that, that is true, but time will tell. I mean, it's, it's, you know, I mean, the bond yields down today, so it's like, you know, 10 years oh, down, be interesting. Yeah. You know, it's, it is hard. It's hard to say, right. People ask that question all the time and they, you know, you yeah. can't reliably predict anything, but some of the stuff that you mentioned is stuff that is kind of playing out. We've been having some better inflation numbers and rates have come down from their highs in November. So as inflation becomes less and less of an issue. My hope is that it'll lead to what you're saying with rates in the fives and upper fours by That's the end great. of the year. So I'm hopeful. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, definitely. Uh, well, listen, thanks for coming on, Phil. Thank you I very much it. for having me. Thanks. It's, it's a pleasure to be on this. It's a pleasure to work with you every day. So, you know, it's, it's been you. a great, almost eight years, seven and a half years. Love the team. Love working with everyone over there in Avon and yeah. let's keep it going. All right. Thanks, man.